Well, good evening again. I'd like to welcome you again and just thank you for being here. I'd also like to invite you back next week as we begin a brand new teaching series here at New Life called Afterlife. And that's what that little short video was when I walked up here. It's kind of promoting our new sermon series I'd like for you to come back and be a part of because this is something that I know about you and about everyone else. And no matter where you're from or, or how you choose to live your life or what you might believe particularly, there is something that all people have in common. And that is a curiosity about what comes next. You know, what comes next after this life is over? What happens one minute after you die? Have you ever wondered that? I bet you have. And that's a great question. And I've yet to meet the person who has never wondered about it, who has never sat back in their chair and thought, what happens next? Well, I've got some great news for you. This is just one of those questions that the Bible has a lot to say about. There's very clear answers found in Scripture. So what we're going to do as a church family, and I'd like for you to come and be a part of it with us, is we are going to spend a few weeks examining what the Bible says about what lies beyond the grave. Benjamin Franklin once famously said, and no doubt you've heard this quote before, he said, in this world nothing can be said to be certain except what? Death and taxes. Well, he's right about the death part, isn't he? He may be right about the taxes too, but he's definitely right about death. No one has ever been able to escape it. And the reality is we'll all meet it one day. When you take your last breath on earth, I want you to know that it will not be your last. Billy Graham, who you all know, passed away just last February, or just back in February. I think he said it best. He said, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. The afterlife is real. And I am so looking forward to unpacking everything that the Bible clearly teaches about this reality, and I hope you'll come and be a part of it. Now, today is Easter weekend, and literally millions and millions and millions of people all around the earth will gather together on this weekend, and they will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are going to celebrate, just like we are right now, the moment when the tomb that was holding Jesus' dead body, when that tomb literally burst open and Jesus walked out of it alive and well. That's what we are celebrating. That is why we are here. The fact that he rose from the grave and the fact that he is still alive today and the resurrection of Jesus still changes people's lives to this day as evidenced by many of you being here right now. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the single most important event in the history of mankind. Nothing, and I mean nothing, has impacted this world more than Jesus rising from the dead. And that happened about 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified on a Friday morning around 9 a.m. It was the final step in what was a humiliating a trial and a humiliating execution process that all began the night before. They nailed his hands and his feet 
to a cross, and then they raised him up so that everyone who would see him would ridicule him, and they would know that he was some sort of a criminal. So they raised him up on this cross about nine in the morning, and then about six hours later, about three o'clock in the afternoon, he died. Now, now, Jesus had a number of followers, including a lot of friends that followed him. There were 11 disciples at this point. There used to be 12. But if you're familiar with the story, you know that one of the disciples, his name was Judas, he actually betrayed Jesus. So the 12 is now down to 11. I've often wondered that what was going through the disciples' minds, what was going through um, his friends' minds, those who were closest to him at the time of his death, and that time between his death and his resurrection. I think about a lot of things when I study the Bible, things that maybe the Bible doesn't specifically say, but we know things happen, and this is one of those that I often wonder about. From Friday afternoon to Sunday morning, what exactly was going through the disciples' minds? What, what were they thinking about? Well, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of details about it. In fact, we know very little about the comings and goings of Jesus' friends and followers and his disciples from Friday afternoon all the way to Sunday morning. We do know a few things. We know that there was a guy named Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea to be exact, and he went to Pilate, who was the Roman governor. He was the one that gave permission for Jesus to be executed. He went to him and asked for Jesus' body. Now, now, Joseph himself was a follower, but he was a secret follower. It's so when we come across this guy, it's like he was a follower. We're introduced to him right here, but he was a secret. He was afraid of what would happen to him if he actually came out and went public about his faith. I think maybe some of us in this room are about like that too sometimes. Oh, I believe, but I'm just going to keep it to myself. You, you might relate to Joseph here, but he asked for, for Jesus' body, and Pilate grants him permission to take possession of Jesus' body. To help him do this was a guy by the name of Nicodemus. So you have Joseph and Nicodemus together that do this. Now we do meet Nicodemus uh, way back in Jesus' ministry. If you were to go back and read John chapter 3, you would meet this Nicodemus. He is the same one who came to Jesus in the middle of the night so nobody would see, and he had some genuine questions. Many people believe that Nicodemus went on to become a follower of Jesus, and this is kind of him saying, I don't care who knows now, I'm going to go and I'm going to help Joseph, and we're going to get Jesus' body. And what they did, they did something that was normal for that time. They, they wrapped Jesus' body with strips of linen. They started to, to add spices and things like that to help preserve the body. This was normal behavior, and, and they were getting him ready to be entombed for a very long time. This wasn't going to be the entire process. <clears throat> but it was the start of it. We also know that there were some women that had followed Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and there's another Mary and some others. The Bible tells us that they were also there. They saw this happen. They, 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 they knew where the tomb was and, and all of that. Now, other than that, we don't know a whole lot of details about what the rest of Jesus' disciples and what his friends were doing from Friday afternoon, from when he died, to Sunday morning. But I think that we are safe to make some assumptions. Why? Because we are people, and regardless of whether you lived 20 years ago or 2,000 years ago, 
when Jesus was crucified, people are people and there are things that were normal for them and are normal for us. Would you agree with me that from Friday at 3 until Sunday morning at the resurrection, there was plenty of sadness among Jesus' friends? I, I, I think so. Would you, I think it's also safe to assume that there were plenty of tears that flowed down many of faces as they thought about all that had happened in that short amount of time. I can visualize Peter and James and John or maybe some of the other disciples being together during that time, those few days. And I can envision maybe Peter's got his arm up on the windowsill and he's looking out a long stare, not really paying attention to anybody. And thoughts going through his mind. I can't believe that the last thing that Jesus ever heard me say was, I don't know him. These long stares and these thoughts that went through their minds, like, what are we going to do now? What comes next? I don't know what to do. If you've ever lost somebody who has meant the world to you, I mean somebody whose life was so intertwined with yours, someone whose very purpose was your purpose, if you've ever lost somebody like that, then you know and you can understand in high definition exactly what the disciples and Jesus' friends were feeling from the moment Jesus died to his resurrection. It had to have been painful. It had to have been agony. I think it's safe to assume that there were plenty of people wondering, is everything going to be okay? I have no idea but I feel completely lost. These are real emotions. And I know they're emotions that we can feel at times too. These are legitimate feelings. If you think about the 24 hours that they had all had together, if you just think back, and I'm going to help you understand these details. You don't have to go back and read them. But if you just think about all that has happened in the 24 hours leading up to Jesus' death, I mean, you, you've got the disciples who were happy and enjoying things, and they're with Jesus, and they have this moment together where Jesus, he bends down, and he washes their feet, and he says, if you really want to serve me, you've got to become a humble servant like I'm doing to you. I'm setting forth an example. Do you remember Jesus washing the disciples' feet? Just happened the day before. And as you keep thinking about what happens, you, 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 you find out that Jesus predicts that he is going to die long before he does. He just says, this is going to happen. They've heard him say this. Just in the last 24 hours, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. We know that is Judas. He calls him out. In the last 24 hours, he calls out another disciple in advance before he did anything wrong. And he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And what does Peter say? No, it's not going to happen. That all happened within the last 24 hours. Jesus communicates that he is going to be leaving. And where he is going, none of the disciples can follow him. In the last 24 hours, these disciples shared their final meal with Jesus. It was a special meal. It was the Passover gathering. They went out to pray together. None of them could stay awake during the prayer time. You want to talk about some guilt and anguish over that? Their last night with Jesus, and they couldn't even keep their eyes open, but they didn't know it was their last night with Jesus. Jesus has to wake him up when his betrayer, Judas, comes with the soldiers Jesus gets arrested, he gets lied about, 
He gets testified against in court. He gets, he gets flogged severely, beaten up beyond recognition. They nail him to a cross, both his hands and his feet. And now his body is lying in a tomb. That is what has happened in the last 24 hours. And here they are. Can you imagine what these disciples are feeling? I think their world has come crashing down around him and I, them. And I'm just wondering, can anybody relate to these emotions? Could anybody testify? I know what that feels like to have your entire world come crashing down around you. I know what they're feeling. So there they are. From smiles on Thursday to devastation on Friday. I don't know this, but I just assume, and I'm wondering, I wonder if any of them, if any of the disciples, if there was one who stood up and said, hey, you guys, listen up. Do you remember what Jesus said to us yesterday? Do, do you remember the words? We had this long conversation. Do you guys remember what he told us yesterday? What I want us to do, I want us to open our Bibles, and I want us to examine a couple of things that Jesus told these same disciples, who are probably lost and bewildered, what he told them 24 hours before this. It's found in John chapter 16. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, all the scriptures will be displayed behind me on the screens. Jesus said this to them 24 hours ahead of this. He said in verse 16, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. These disciples, they weren't putting together everything that Jesus was saying. What he's actually doing just the day before he dies, is he is preparing them for what they are about to endure. That's what this whole conversation's about. He knew, Jesus knew all that was going to happen to him. He had already predicted a number of times before that this was going to happen, but he knew it was going to be difficult for his disciple. His disciple they could not probably comprehend this moment. So Jesus tells them, in a little while, you're not going to see me anymore, but don't worry, you will see me again now for us today we read that and we're like well there it is in plain english or greek there it is why didn't they catch this why because they don't have the benefit that we have all this time since where we've got the whole bible we see how the lord has worked through the church we know how the story ends they did not know how the story was going to end so even though jesus is telling them plainly you're not going to see me for a while but it's going to be okay because you're going to see me again. I don't know if any of the disciples really captured that and were able to rally all the rest of them and say, it's going to be okay. Remember, just yesterday he said, we're going to see him again. So the conversation continues. This is not the end of it. Jesus saw, this is verse 19, that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Boy, if that doesn't describe the last 24 hours. You will grieve, but your grief 
will turn to joy. Jesus' message to them was a very simple one. The day before he dies, your grief will turn to joy. What did he mean by that? I mean that you guys are about to experience the toughest moment of your life. Grief is going to come crashing down on your heads. Like the grief that comes when losing somebody. It feels like that. You're going to experience it. And you will grieve. But what you're experiencing, Jesus said, that grief, that time between his death and resurrection, that is going to turn into joy. And he's offering them hope, and I don't think they caught it. He wasn't saying it might turn to joy. No, no, he says your grief is going to turn to joy. Not maybe, not possibly, not there's a chance it's going to turn into joy. No, no, Jesus is saying your grief is going to turn to joy. And he says it's going to be just like this. He gives them an illustration for them to understand. Your grief is going to be like this, turning to joy. Verse 21, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Some of you ladies understand what Jesus is saying? This may come as a shocker to you. I've never delivered a baby. Shocking, I know. But I have talked to enough of you ladies who have, and there is something you all say in common. That's like, oh, it was the most painful thing of my life. But the second I was holding my baby, it all kind of went out of my mind. Am I making sense? Is that true? This is what Jesus is saying. He's like, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because her joy that a child is born into the world. Then he says this, so with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again. And you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. When I think of Easter, and I think about this moment, and I think about what it meant to Jesus' disciples, and I think about what it means to each and every one of us in this room, I cannot think of a better phrase than the one that Jesus said about what was going on. He says, your grief will turn to joy. And friends, that right there is a description of the resurrection of Jesus on so many levels. Grief turning into joy. Now, I want to go back and spend just a moment on this illustration that Jesus gave of the woman who gives birth to a child because it is a powerful comparison if you'll just take the time to think about exactly what Jesus is trying to communicate. The Lord is about to bring some joy into this desperate situation, not by substitution, but by transformation. And here's what I mean by that. Here's what Jesus is trying to say by that. Jesus is not going to reach down and take away their guilt. It's not like he's going to take the guilt away and substitute it with something else. No, he's saying, I'm going to take that grief. I'm not taking it away. I'm going to transform it into something else. I'm not going to get rid of it and substitute it for something. No, I'm going to take that grief that is there, and I'm going to use it, and I'm going to transform that into joy. He says it's like a mother giving birth. The same baby who caused the pain also caused the joy. Now just think through this. You've got to stay with what Jesus is saying. The baby that caused all this pain in delivery is also what causes the joy. 
God did not substitute something to, to take away the mother's pain. Instead, he uses what's there and transforms it. Like Jesus says, a mother will quickly forget the anguish because of the joy of new life. That pain transitions into joy. Pain turns to joy. And in that, we have the heart of Easter. What are we supposed to know about this day? Is it Easter eggs and bunnies and things like that? That's not the heart of Easter. The heart of Easter is that Jesus took the cross, which is a symbol of pain and anguish and shame, and he transformed it into a symbol of victory, glory, and joy. That's what he's saying here. He's taking this painful thing and he's turning it into something very special and something joyful. And he's trying to prepare his disciples for this joyful thing. And that joyful thing is what's going to be the foundation of everything up to now. I tell you this, just changing. It's not substituting, it's transitioning to joy. So on that Friday afternoon and all day Saturday and into Sunday morning, the cross was nothing but grief and pain. But then Sunday morning came, and it's about to be transformed into victory and joy. Let me just read it for you, because we, we cannot come to Easter and not read about it. Matthew 28, 1, just listen to this. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, that Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now that would be a sight to see, wouldn't it? Sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with what? Joy. Filled with joy. That's what they were feeling. It's the first time they'd felt it since Friday or before. They're feeling joy. The pain of the cross transformed to joy through the resurrection. And here is where the cross and the resurrection gets really personal for you and me. Jesus didn't raise to life just so his disciples could have their grief transition to joy. No, no, no. He rose to life. So that our grief can also transition to joy. Us. Jesus died on the cross and he rose to life for you and me. And what we're reading about impacts us as deeply and as incredibly as it did his disciples all those years ago. This moment can be so summed up in one, one little place in the Bible. It's John 3.16. It's very familiar to some of you, but for others, this might be the first time you're hearing this. The whole thing about Jesus comes down to this. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. Bottom line, God loves you and he wants you to be with him forever. And if you can remember that when you leave here today, then we have accomplished something. God loves you and he wants you to be with him forever. There is no greater joy than knowing that God loves you and has prepared a path for you to go to heaven. What you have to do is believe. Now our ultimate grief is the result of sin. Now you may not know that, but I'm here to tell you what the Bible communicates to us. That our ultimate grief is the result of our sins, whether we knew we were sinning or not. And the Lord wants to take that and he wants to transform it into something that will be joyful for you, which will be forgiveness of sins. And in order to do that, the Bible tells us that he had to take all of our sins. Yeah, my sins, your sins, all the sins that have ever been committed. He had to take them on himself when they nailed him to the cross. He bore our sin, the Bible says. The penalty of those sins was death. Now, you got to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden to learn that truth, that the penalty of sin was death. That was the sentence that we were under. That's the consequence. And so Jesus took our consequence, and he died for us. And that's what the cross is all about. The Bible says that in doing so, he conquered sin. And there were many who thought it was over. But then three days later, he rose to life, and the Bible tells us, and that's when he conquered death. And so you have death losing its sting to those who believe in him. And that, my friends, is grief turning into joy. That what I deserved, Jesus took on instead. Now, Jesus wraps up his conversation with his disciples the day before he dies by saying this in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I think God wants me to ask everybody in this room right now this question. Do you have peace? And have you experienced the peace that comes from grief turning into joy? There's just something about the resurrection that tells me no matter what the grief that I may have, it's going to be okay. It can be okay because of Jesus. Here I want you to watch a story, a testimony by a young man in our youth group. His name is Josh and I think he has something for us all to hear tonight. Two thousand ten, uh, my parents divorced, and that that struck me. You know that conversation of we're not going to be together anymore. Your mom and I are not going to be together anymore. Once I started to feel a little better, a little. Uh, little bit of a connection I thought with the Lord uh, my mom she was starting to uh, really get her life back around uh,
dad picking me up from school early with my brother and my sister. He stops at a gas station, turns to all of us and says, your mother died last night. We're gonna go see her now. Grandma's there. We're gonna go visit your mom. At that moment, there was just an instant feel of emptiness and numbness to what it, what had happened. I couldn't even understand that God says everything happens for a reason. And my mom is dead. I've been acting like such a good person my entire life. How does this happen? That question right there sent me into a a very destructive path for about a year and a half. One night, I'm laying in bed. This is about a year and a half after my mother passed. And I'm just looking up at the sky saying, God, why? I'm not gonna try to hide anymore. I'm hurting. I am in such a rut of pain and misery. I just need to know why. And then, I felt this warm blanket just come over me. My embrace from him was all that I need. I knew he was saying, Josh, it's okay. You're gonna be okay. She is okay. She's with me. There's nothing to be worried about. And that moment right there, that's when it got personal. That moment with the Lord has impacted me still to this day. I feel like God has called me to become a youth pastor so I can help those people who are feeling the emptiness of a loss of a parent or anything that is going on in life that can get them down. That God can help me with my story that he has. Some people think it's weird for me to call it, but blessed me with. Blessed me with such a life that I can even if I can just impact one person with my story, that means it all.